This episode of the Supply Chain Brain podcast is supported by OpenText, whose enterprise information management solutions help the biggest brands to drive sustainable growth and productivity. Be sure and stick around after the discussion for a look at the company and what it offers to clients. But now, on to the podcast. The world of retail is undergoing massive change. What's happening and what will it look like in the coming years? Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Editor-in-Chief of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. You'd have to be in deep hibernation to miss the changes that the retail industry is experiencing in the wake of the coronavirus and economic freefall. But that transformation was already in play a long time before people started donning masks and sheltering at home. E-commerce was already laying waste to traditional retail models, and consumers were well on their way to being spoiled rotten by merchandisers on price, selection, and speed of delivery. Now, as retailers struggle to navigate their way through a perilous and ever more uncertain economy, those changes are being accelerated, if not turbocharged. Joining me today to figure out what's going on is Jeff Eckel, Director of Product Marketing for Supply Chain Solutions with OpenText. We'll learn how the pandemic is hastening progress toward the elusive goal of digitization and whether the industry's plight is indeed what he calls the tipping point we've all been waiting for. So here is my conversation with Jeff Eckel. Jeff Eckel, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. We're going to be talking about the transformation of retail, and there are so many factors to consider that are driving that. But I want to ask you first, Jeff, how long have you noted that change has been in the air? It's certainly not something sudden with the pandemic. I know there have been factors that have been changing retail for a little bit of time, but, but how long do you, do you think it's been since these major changes were becoming evident? You know, I think what we're going through right now is the tipping point that we've all been waiting for. And you ask how long has this been ongoing? I believe this has been ongoing for, I'd call it eight to 10 years in the sense that we've seen the shift to online. We've seen the shift away from stores into different buying models that just accommodate our lives better. And as we go through these shifts, what we're seeing is the companies that have really prepared for that and really done the extensive homework for making themselves available online, they're the ones that are going to flourish here. And so as we think about how long has this been happening, I think the companies that are falling off the radar at this point that are most susceptible are the ones that hadn't been advancing, hadn't been keeping up, or were perhaps okay with the status quo of adoption of digitization in the supply chain. Obviously, it takes more than simply putting up a website and starting to sell your products there because it was absolutely evident in the last decade that e-commerce was becoming an important thing. But I think you're saying that it's not that simple. You're talking about digitization, which is a step beyond simply having an e-commerce site and trying to push your merchandise over that, right? That's correct. There's many facets of a digital online experience. And part of that is what the customer sees. And part of that's what the supply chain sees. And this is where 
so much of the supply chain has been impacted through some of the disruption that we've seen right now. And it doesn't necessarily have to be that way. And we're seeing companies that are not impacted as much because they're not reliant on things that are susceptible during disruption, like the human workforce in a way. I wonder what number of companies that is, though, because we hear so many companies that haven't gone in that route and are feeling the pain. Do you think that they constitute the majority of retailers today? I do. We had a research done by IDC that showed about 70% were leveraging cloud-based networks. And what that's telling you is that they're digitizing their supply chain. So these are the ones that, and assume every degree of adoption there, but we are over about two-thirds where companies have understood the importance to remove paper and digitize and to get everything flowing so that you can feed that online experience with consistency and profitability. Do you think that progress has been accelerated or is being accelerated by the pandemic? And if so, how has that affected companies' decisions to move more in the direction of digitization? Well, I heard of a grocer that went out and found eight new suppliers of eggs. That's something that if you look at from a supply chain perspective, if someone came to you and said, go find me eight new suppliers, that's a challenge at times. There's requirements that have to be met. There's a lot of setup and onboarding that has to take place. And these companies that have really been prepared and digitized their processes are the ones that are able to do that. And so these ones that are reliant on their brick and mortar, some of the more mom and pop shops in the sense that not necessarily the online Amazon access and Etsy and those, those guys, those guys have actually seen quite an increase. But ultimately, I think where we end up going is if you didn't have it in motion, you really have no chance. And if you had it in motion, you better put it into full gear because it's going to be the requirement, not the the nice to have come two years from now. Help me to understand more specifically what is the connection between digitization and being able to go out and find eight new suppliers for eggs. What is it about digitization that makes that a possible that wasn't possible before? Well, if we look from a paper standpoint, if you're finding smaller suppliers, diversified suppliers, potentially they're not the ones that are digitized. They're not the ones that are receiving orders. They've got alerts and things on when things are supposed to go out. They're usually the ones that have the paper going back and forth on fax, which unfortunately is still a very, very large portion of companies today. They're really the ones that are able to see that paper impacts their business when we're in this situation. When we get to a digitized supply chain, you can onboard those guys so much faster. You can get them injected into the supply chain. You can get their products online much faster. So these things where you are digitized feed everything that leads to the end goal, which is the buyer experience by the consumer, whether it's there on time, whether it's the right product. That digitization, when you even get to ship notifications and things that are digitized, inventory can be moved around and managed based on where it needs to go. So again, if you're in a paper scenario, that either has to then be keyed into all of these systems in order to get into that level of visibility and management, or it really is a very manual process with very little visibility and extremely susceptible to any hiccup. I would think that smaller suppliers would be highly incentivized these days to become digital or to allow themselves to be onboarded by their larger buyers. Is there any pushback at all? And if so, what would be the reason for that? The pushback typically comes from technology enabled. Ten years ago, if you wanted to start a business and sell your product, there was a lot more hoops. There weren't as many tools. 
that supported you. But now it's very easy for you to get onto Etsy and Amazon. And now you could essentially have all of these orders coming to you when you didn't really expect it in the past. The digitization aspect for these suppliers comes into play where before, I think if they existed 10 years ago, they're somewhat entrenched with the way they're doing business. But these newer retailers, these newer um, suppliers of goods even, have an opportunity to really jump into the mix with the tool sets that are out there. Mm-hmm. And whether it's being able to engage with Amazon on an ordering aspect or electronically, or if it's really just a matter of supplying orders via Etsy and things, these are where they're able to kind of take that advantage. So do you believe the digitization at all when it comes to these smaller retailers and smaller suppliers trying to get in the game for the first time? Do you believe that this technology levels the playing field and allows them to do that? Or is the landscape just so totally dominated by Amazon on the e-com side and maybe Walmart and Target and the like on the brick and mortar side that there just isn't any room for entry? I mean, is there? No, I definitely think there's room for entry. In fact, I, I believe that Amazon and Walmart, and they love the endless aisle concept. So if you've got a product that they don't need to put on their shelves, but they can still put it online and engage with you, they want to make it easier for you. So I would say as a, a new supplier of a new good, things are easier these days because the big guys want to do business with you. They want that diversity. And ultimately, they don't have all the overhead that they used to, to you know place an order and retain inventory. They can leave it with you guys. And if they get an order, they send it to you. And there's not a lot of failure point there. One mm-hmm. thing in my entrepreneurial MBA that I always remember is quick, fast, cheap experiments. Find a way to get engaged as quickly as possible and let the momentum gain. And I think that's what these retailers do is they open it up and yeah, there's going to be fallout, but the ones that are capable and have good products, they've been given the tools and the platform they need to actually participate. They're in a much better position than they used to be. Digitization naturally and inherently involves the reduction of paper. It seems to me though, that with the invention of the very first computer decades ago, at that time, everyone was saying, well, this is the end of paper. And it wasn't. For decade after decade, we've been Mm -hmm. promised this. We've been talking about the end of paper. And here we are today talking about the end of paper. Why is it now for real? Why is it now possible to actually achieve? It is for real. That's a perfect question. And I I stand behind the statement to say that the human workforce was not previously seen as a weak point. It was scalable. It was trainable. It was something that if it wasn't automated, you throw a person at it and it gets done. And then Mm -hmm. you're done. Now, the hurdle there is a compelling buying event that says, okay, the cost of operating this human to do this process versus automating it. That's where the power has shifted. Before, the human workforce was always seen as scalable and capable of doing this thing. But now, with them being seen as a vulnerability, your trucks aren't driving yourselves. Think about right now the concept of this pandemic with our supply chain and autonomous trucks versus truck drivers. And that's a perfect example where you can take the human element completely out of play. And before, the cost to deploy something like an autonomous chain of trucks would be massive. But if you're a company that just took an extremely massive hit, as we've seen here, as possible during a supply chain disruption like this, it definitely becomes a much more manageable ROI. And I think we're going to see the momentum, the shift towards the automation, the digitization, the artificial intelligence aspects much stronger now as we are unable to rely on our workforce. 
But isn't it also a question that the technology had to develop as well? I mean, you talk about what it would have cost to go all autonomous trucks a few years ago, but I don't even know that the technology would have made it possible at any price. Now it's beginning to be feasible. So are you saying that this type of technology we're talking about, supplier, buyer, retail type technology, has reached a level of sophistication that it hadn't reached before and therefore now does make digitization more possible? It is a convenient joint, isn't it? We're starting to see the proliferation of automation and AI where it's now needed. I think before it was probably still there and, and to a degree AI is still there in the same concept to have a robot serve you at McDonald's or something, but it's still a little far-fetched. There's going to be stepping stones. And there's one thing I've learned as I start to look at visions from the future is that the, that's the future snapshot. And there's many steps and many variations to get to that. And so you'll see momentum in areas and you'll see decline in areas. But what we're really going to see is the adoption where the ROI makes sense now. How do you see the technology landscape changing the very nature of retail when it comes to the division between, say, e-commerce retailers and brick and mortar? Do you see that line as blurring in the future? It's a good question because I have some understanding that you look at where we're going to be And the store is going to change immensely. The impulse buy aspect of how we've all been raised in retail is no more. I'm a consumer at home, and I no longer have to go to the store if I don't want to, to get pretty much anything I wanted. That's going to continue on. That sounds terrible for retailers, though, because if you go to a store, you spot things on the shelves that you had no plan to buy, and you make an impulse buy. (laughs) Amazon and others try that online, but it doesn't seem to work quite as well. And therefore, does that not mean that retail sales will go down because of as e-commerce goes up, impulse buys go down? I do think the, like I said, I think the concept of impulse buy being the, the basis of our store experience, how we route people, how long they're there, it's all about what are they going to buy while they're there, not what they intended to buy while they were there, but things right. that are going to be added to their cart. I feel like it's getting leapfrogged or supplanted, if you will, because the online e-commerce process is something where we go out and we get targeted. And I've seen more aspects of impulse buy when you get to grocery store shopping. They are much better at showing you similar products versus if you're just going to go to Macy's and see a comparable dress and, okay, I like that dress. It shows you another one. Great. You're not going to get that level of impulse. Give me that too. That doesn't mean that business can't survive. That doesn't mean brick and mortar can't survive. It has to evolve. It has to adapt. I truly believe we're going to get to the point where IoT and systems within stores are going to make the need to go into the store not needed anymore. You may Mm -hmm. still go to a grocery store, but stand at a kiosk, fill out your order. I need this milk. I need this. And why not? And then it shows up in 10 minutes as everything behind there is fully automated. You've got no touch, no controls, no risk of, of somebody coughing on your stuff. This is where it's going. But yet the buyer still needs to buy what they buy. Buyers still like to buy impulse buys. So it's just going to really shift. I, I almost feel like that model of impulse buy goes away in a way. And it'll be a huge paradigm shift. Well, do you think that the multiple options that are starting to materialize now will continue to exist? And buy online, pick up in store. Buy online, pick up at a locker. <laughs> go to the store and go no. to a kiosk. Have, have it delivered to your house. There's all these different, very confusing options. Do you think they'll all be maintained or, or the, kind of the landscape's going to settle a little bit? to one or two of those? I believe it will settle. And this may or may not be relevant. But as we're getting into this pandemic, many businesses are working from home. 
I've worked from home for many years. And one thing I've seen along the way is that when someone's in an office and they start to work from home, there's this attachment. I got to go back to the office. I need to be in there one day a week or, or this week, but not that week. And these are things that people accommodate. They, businesses say, okay, we're going to do these shifts and things. But if you ask them two months down the road, what would they do? They say, I don't need to be in the office anymore. So in the same regard, this is going to shift. Right now, there is this desire to meet every possible need. But it's not going to be the same retail environment that we're used to. And I think that some of these things that are superfluous, they were easy to implement. So it was an easy way for a business to say, oh, yeah, you can buy online and we'll give it to you in the store. It allowed them to get inventory to people faster. But ultimately, I believe consumers are going to adopt a concept of I can either have it delivered or I can go pick it out. It sounds like that might lead to smaller store footprints or else the same footprint, but more of the store devoted to an actual warehouse or picking operation as opposed to a retail experience. Do you think that might be coming up down the line? Exactly. That's my concept of an automated store, a vending store. Why do I need 50,000 square feet if my consumer's just as happy getting it packaged and sent out to them right away? I think commercial real estate is going to take a huge shift. And when it does, the demand for real estate in certain areas is going to go down. We're going to see different businesses coming in there. I mean, we don't need an in-store every one mile for some of the stores that we have from pharmaceutical goods or grocery. We don't need one every mile. Maybe if you want to go to a store, then now you drive two miles. Otherwise, everything's kind of delivered or otherwise made accessible through this quick pickup concept. So I, I think it is changing. And we're already seeing the impact on shopping malls. That's been going on for a few years now. It looks like that particular model may be on the way out or at least headed for a transformation quite different from what it was before, right? Exactly. We saw it go from the internal inside malls to the outdoor malls, and that became really popular. But that's all been on the basis of being able to have retailers who need foot traffic to sell their product. Prior to getting on this, I did a, a quick look, and the number of retailers that are closing stores is huge. It's by far a majority. Now, part of this, knowing business as well as we do, we know that a good portion of those stores is the fat that wasn't driving in what it needed to. It may be has been somewhere that had a nice location name, but had no revenue. That's all going to turn off and that's going to hit these commercial areas. And if, whether it's inside a mall with GameStop shutting all of their 230 stores, it's vastly going to change what the mall is used for. This will be that tipping point. We've seen malls starting to close and starting to get weaker and weaker in terms of foot traffic. But this will be a devastating blow. Like you said, it will be something different after this. Jeff, tell me about OpenText. How long has the company been in business and what was its original mission when it was formed? OpenText has been a company for many years. Back in the 80s, we started out with automation and continued to align with business processes. And in the last 10 years or so, it's really flourished into a company that not only provides enterprise information, but provides an advantage by connecting all of those things. And where we sit today is a number of supply chain solutions that can help us in these times of disruption. But when OpenText was formed, it couldn't possibly have predicted, and nor for that matter could anyone, 
what the landscape would look like now and how much its solutions would be needed or how you would need to transform those solutions to meet the needs of, of right now. You, you couldn't have foreseen all that, right? Absolutely not. It was a matter of embedding yourself into technology and innovation and seeing where it goes. And we do that mm-hmm. today. We've got investments with technologies that don't have valid use cases in terms of things that are out in the market today, but the things that we identify as potential for helping. And as we partner and grow with these solutions and our customers and our clients, we're able to be on the edge where we can react and come into a scenario like we just discussed and say, we understand your business, we understand what you're going through, and we know how we can help you. So just be a little more specific about what that product looks like. What form does your solution take exactly? If we talk about the basics here, I like to call it back to the basics. We need to get digitized. The digitization process is kind of our forefront. In other words, we provide a managed services that allows companies to achieve digitization with their entire supply chain. But ultimately, we support the exchange of those documents with many levels of business visibility on top of it. So as you're going into a pandemic like this, what we can promote is resiliency and the adaptive supply chain. So if you're looking for new suppliers, we have tools that can help you find new suppliers based on your requirements. Even in an ethical environment we're in right now, you don't just want to choose a supplier because they have the good. You want to choose a supplier because it has the good as well as a positive public image. So creating those things to help businesses find who they're going to trade with in this time, enabling them to trade, then we are able to overlap with the visibility that enables their business, once they're up and going, to maneuver, to become adaptive, to allow for a flexible supply chain that absorbs this disruption and continues with stability in this, as quickly as possible. How do you see the future? I mean, we've already said that you couldn't possibly, at the formation of the company, envisioned exactly what the world is going to look like you know, later years to come. Nor can we predict now what the world's going to look like years to come from now. But how do you think that your own solution might need to evolve? And what additional types of elements would it need to accommodate the changes that are in store for us in the future? I think there's two ways to look at that. A lot of people like to look forward. They like to build things. And sometimes they forget that the things that they built are some of the best things out there if they had 100% adoption. So as we at OpenText look at this, we understand that if we can start to push the understanding of papers not needed, digitization will feed you through this, then we have the ability to rely on the tools that we've been delivering for a long time and the services. But on the forefront of that, as we go into this, there has to be better levels of visibility. Innovation in Internet of Things, IoT devices that are providing shipment visibility at last mile, shipment status. These are things that need to be incorporated into our supply chain that aren't there prolifically today that should be, because when they are, they are able to absorb that disruption wave so much better. And I really think that's where open text has an extreme advantage is number one, the basis of our knowledge is still relevant and it's going to continue to be relevant. if not one of the underlying success factors, but then our innovation keeps us looking at what's new, what is going to solve these problems that are in front of our customers today in the terms of almost a partnership for them. Jeff Eckel, I want to thank you so much for joining us today to talk about the transformation of retail and the coming of digitization. Finally, I guess, the possible end of paper, and then also a little bit about open text itself. Thanks so much for being with us today. Bob, thank you so much for your time. That was my conversation with Jeff Eckel of OpenText. 
talking about the transformation of retail. Our thanks to OpenText for sponsoring this episode. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. Stay well, and see you next time.